Let's talk about sarcoma, a podcast that looks at the expected, the unexpected, and everything in between post-sarcoma diagnosis. Brought to you by Socket to Sarcoma and the Cooper Rice Braiding Foundation. Welcome to episode two of Let's Talk About Sarcoma. In this episode, we chat to some incredible people who share their sarcoma journey from the heart. Well, got a real treat now, a chat with the lovely Molly. Molly, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> uh, Molly, um, tell me uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and about your sarcoma journey. Um, so I was diagnosed on my 12th birthday um, in 2018. Um, we went into the doctor's office and... Um, he just had a look at my scans, t- said to go for a walk and um, straight after that he said we're looking at something very serious. It's either osteosarcoma or Ewing sarcoma. Um, but it ended up being osteo. Um, I found that out on the Thursday the week after. Um, but when we were in the doctor's office, I actually said to my sister while we were outside while, he was, while the doctor was telling my parents, um, that I had cancer and I knew because I could hear dad crying and dad is one of the toughest people in the world and um, he's he's like my superman as well as um, Dr. Boyle and Professor Kelly. Um, but I I knew when dad started crying, I even said to Maddie and she almost fell off the seat. Um, no. Oh, no way, Molly, don't be stupid. But um, so I did around – I did – 17 rounds of chemo um, after my operation and six rounds before that. Wow, that's a lot. Molly, take us back a bit. So before you found yourself at the doctor, what what had presented itself that made you think this doesn't feel quite right? Um, Well, I was a very sporty girl. I played um, in the polling basketball team in the May and um, I hurt my car. I always thought I had a niggle, like a niggle in my calf, so he took me to a physio, and they just said it was a um, tear in my calf muscle. Um, but it was always there. But I wasn't going to tell mum and dad because in the July I had state age netball, <laughs> so I wasn't going to tell mum and dad that my leg was still hurting. Um, but I did three days of state netball. I played every game except for one, um, and. By the second day, I was in tears and I never cry when I'm on the court because I just love it. But I was in tears from the pain and mum and dad thought shin splints. Um, and so I kept playing for the three days. And um, then by the time we got back to Dubbo and about two days later, my leg was actually locked and to bend and straighten it, once it was straightened, it would lock and, and it would, if it was bent, it would lock again. That must have been so, scary. So we, we actually went to a kinesiologist and he tried to put, he was feeling around, he said, your muscles have actually detached. So we tried to put them back on and we said, but he said to go get an MRI because he wasn't touching it any more than that. Um, and then we went down, I got diagnosed so it was pretty quick from you going yep, to see. Very yes. quick. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know, you sat outside the doctor's surgery, you can hear your dad cry, which, uh, you know, made me tear up. <laughs> so goodness me. Um, how, 
when they actually told you that it was sarcoma, do you remember how you felt? I just, I don't know. It was just like this can't be our life. I was playing state netball. We came, we came best to double team and they would come like two weeks ago. How can this be happening? Yes, Me knowing. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just, it was very shocking because he said, I was it bawling. We were all bawling, but at the same time, you're like, "This can't be true." Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, disbelief. A, I bet. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, from that sort of time on, obviously, treatment started quite quickly for you. Um, you know, you've got your mum and your dad and, and your sister there. You're, you know, great team. Did you feel that everything was explained to a level that you really understood, or was it over your head? And, and mum and dad took the reins. How how did it go? No, at the start of my journey, they said, my um, oncologist said to me, Molly, we are going to tell you everything because the worst thing that we can do is make you lose trust in us. So we're going to tell you, even if it might be, you're going to have to grow up. You're going to have to learn these words. You're going to have Mm -hmm. to know what to watch out for, know to watch if you have bleeding around your mouth, nose and eyes, like all these little things that no 13 or 12-year-olds should have to ever go through, but you have to, you got to deal with it, you got to face it, you got to fight it. Yes, yeah, I mean that, you have to grow up really quickly, didn't you, sort of overnight. That's that's a yeah. hard thing when you're 12, 13 and, and netball's the biggest thing in your mind, you know, suddenly... Life's very different. Did did you cope? Did you talk to people about how you felt, your emotions? Well, my family were very close. So I was so lucky to have that support in my family. Um, my sister, we may have not been we were always close, but we may have not been close when closer now than ever. Mm-hmm. And I was so lucky that I she was always there to support me as well as my mum and dad. Yeah. And what about your friends? Was that difficult to to explain your diagnosis to your friends? Well, um, I'm perhaps pretty mum texted all the parents and they pretty much told them all. But um, at the time I had three best friends, Ella, Amelia and Ella. Wait, Ella, Amelia and Michaela. Can you <laughs> and, remember these people? Come on. <laughs> yeah, they're still my friends now. So, <laughs> Good. Um, They've stayed with you. Good to hear. Yeah, but they... Um, so they all FaceTimed me like I think that week and um, I just explained to them what was happening. But they were all, they've always been so supportive to me, all three of them. And yeah, they wouldn't trade them in for the world. They were so unbelievably supportive and I, yeah, they were amazing. We always talked about stuff and I always let them knew, know what was going on. So they were really good. And I think how- we all had to grow up. Yes, yeah. Look, I, I think your you mates just stick by you, don't they? doesn't matter yeah, if they're sitting here for a year or not. And the great thing is FaceTime, social media, like you can, you can stay in touch a lot more now. But, um, yes, but saying that, you're in high school, all of a sudden, you know, you can't have your treatment in Dubbo, you're coming to Sydney, you're living away for all of that time. How, how was that sort of trying to juggle school and, and, and just a big change? Was that okay? Well, I was in my last year of year six, so I still okay. had two terms left in year six. And my primary school was amazing. They couldn't have done anything more. They, The school got behind me. They collected recycled bottles and gave us vouchers a few, like every few months. Um, and they 
yeah, my teachers would come down and visit me. Um, I'd FaceTime my class all the time. But they said to me, Molly, you just need to get better if school, school's not the biggest priority right now. Yeah. And I guess year six, that's, you know, that is one of the years you can miss a little bit, not yeah. sort of going into. So I went back for the last day of year six and did the big farewell tunnel for primary school. Oh, I'm glad you didn't miss out on that. That would have been a yes. special day. Um, and have you connected with a lot of other people your age who are going through something similar? Um, well, I've actually, I've met one other girl with osteosarcoma, Mia. She, um, is I think two years older than me. So we text a bit. Um, and then I've met one of my best mates. His name's Toby. He didn't have osteosarcoma. He had a type of leukemia that was very, very rare. And yeah, I went and actually saw him this weekend, which was amazing. He, yeah, he's one of my best mates and I am so lucky to have met him. He's taught me so much as well. Well, I bet he feels equally lucky that he's <laughs> met you. Um, Molly, do you want to talk me through sort of the, you know, how your surgeries have looked and how the chemos looked from kind of start to now? Um, so the chemo, I had um, methotrexate, which is a, a lot of people have that's chemo. Um, it's you're actually in hospital for a bit longer with that one, as it has that is the one that can actually really damage your kidneys um, more than and like more than the other ones that I had. It um, has to be flushed out of you. Um, so once you have it, then you have to stay in there for four days till your levels get right. Um, so that didn't make me as sick as the. Cisplatin and doxorubicin, they made me very, very sick and um, I was always asleep on them, wouldn't eat for that whole time when I had them. Um, yeah, they were the, – cisplatin is one of the worst ones um, any adult or child can have, but unfortunately we have um, – osteoastrocroming kids have to have that one. Um, but without it, who knows where I'd be, if I'd be still be here, so – May have been the one that saved my life. Um, and then I had so I had so many surgeries, I don't even know how many because as normal, you just have the one surgery and get uh, your bone taken out, which is what I did for the first time. And then I get I have a whole leg that is prosthetic inside. Um and so I have a whole had a whole titanium leg inside, but then I actually last this year I've got infections, so I've had to have it taken out and so much done to it. So I've had about five big operations on my leg, and then just lots of small ones in between. Yeah. All right. So let's just call time on the operations this year. I think 2020 you've done your lot. Yeah, Molly, definitely. We'll just call that's enough. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, have you had anything to do with, um, you know, Canteen or Cancer Council or any of the sarcoma not-for-profits? Um, so that was more mum's thing. Actually, she always made sure, like, when stuff would help me out through them. But Red Cat's the main one at the hospital, mm-hmm. so they always, like, they would do things with me. They actually have a bead program. So whenever you do like, have a procedure, have a surgery or something, you get a different bead. My beads are about 
five metres long now. Um, so lots of little beads that, and every bead represents something. Um, so red kite was our main one, but I also did do a camp quality camp. Um, and how was that? Did you enjoy it? It was, I. it's good because I feel like when I don't have to think about cancer, I don't. So to get away and just, um, although it was a cancer camp, you didn't, it was just a camp with lots of other kids yeah. that were just there to have a good time as well. Mm-hmm. They didn't treat you differently because they've also been through it. Yes. Um, so everyone just got each other and it was a really fun weekend and I was lucky enough to have actually one of my nurses um, take me and be my care for the weekend, yeah. So anyone listening that has the opportunity to maybe do a camp or something similar, would you say go for it? Yes, I loved it. Um, it might not be everyone's thing mm-hmm. as there's like I think it's fun but it's maybe it might not be your thing, maybe look into it. But yeah. it was really – I really enjoyed it. Um, now, listen, I, I realise that you were so young when you started this journey, but do you think that having cancer has changed your life and, and how you live your life? It has changed my life in every way. Mm-hmm. Um, from being a 12-year-old kid that had sport on every afternoon, um, was the class clown because she could do whatever she wanted. She was... Um, yeah, she was. I was just living life, and I had I was blindsided by my diagnosis. But this changed my life completely. I can't actually play sport now. Um, and just being the little things that you take for granted mm-hmm. when your friends are all gone, run off to the canteen or something, and you can't do that. Just the little things, but and also just the things that you have to watch out for scratches on your leg for pains that I'd normally have in sport, I now have to think about what else could that be. Um, so it definitely has changed my life. But and now I'm one year and a bit cancer free. So I know, so I'm, I'm actually I'm moving on a little bit. Yes. Um, yeah. But it's all, I think it's always going to be there. I'm always going to have to be careful. So that's mm-hmm. how I think it's changed my life. Molly, you've got an incredible outlook on life. Uh, I can tell that just from our short chat and uh, the chat I had before with your mum, who uh, warned me you might you might be a bit cheeky, but I think you haven't been cheeky at all. I think you've been very, I think you know, very very impressive young lady. No cheek at all yet. Um, now, as well as an amazing outlook on life and going through everything you've been through, you managed to raise an incredible amount of money. Can you can you tell the listeners about that? Um, well, I have done two different fundraising things, um, one for Westmead Children's Hospital and one for Ronald McDonald House Westmead. I did Molly's Mission, which was for um, Ronald McDonald House at the end of their financial year. Um, I just promoted um, Ronald McDonald House and how much they helped me and I told my story. Um, and we ended up raising close to $200,000, which is Absolutely crazy. Can you just say um, that again, please? How many thousand? $200,000. is incredible. So, <laughs> so incredible. Well done, yeah. you. Thank you. I wouldn't have been able to do it without the help of everyone. And then I did the um, tie-dye project with A.U. Carmenta from the Giants. Um, 
her and I, she, I met her right at the start of my journey at the Radiothon at the hospital. Um, and she and I were talking for a bit and she said she had to go. So we went to the cafe that's in the hospital and she came back and said, Molly, you just really touched me and get, actually gave me her giant jacket. So I actually have that in my cupboard at home. Um, and ever since then, she's like a big sister to me. Her and Kira Austin from the Giants have just been so kind. Um, and so we did the tie-dye project. So we tied out a 1,000 shirts, sold them $25 each. I think we got to around $30,000 for the hospital. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. You see, you might not be able to hit the sporting field, but everything else you are doing is absolutely top of the pops. I'm coaching a little under twelves. <laughs> I'm coaching now, yes. All right, let's let's talk me. about that. Let's talk about that. How are you as a coach? Are you, how are you going? <laughs> um, so I'm coaching a little under twelves rep side for basketball. Mm-hmm. With um, she was my under twelves rep coach. She and I are coaching and. Yeah, I'm loving it. I just love being at the bus stadium and um, being around all the kids, teaching them. Um, and then I'm also coaching a little Saturday team with my sister Maddie, um, the under-10s team. It's their first year on big courts. So I haven't had a training session with them yet, but this Friday, that's what I'm doing. You're back on the court. I love yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, Maddie, um, what final message would you like to to share with someone who's listening who might have just started their sarcoma journey? I just think um, I would tell them that it's your journey. Don't let, don't go on the internet and Google. <laughs> and I just think to be positive, I think that was my key and I know it's your journey, but I think being positive is one of the main factors that will get you through. Um, and I want you to know that I'm always here for you. You can add me on Instagram, um, to send me a DM and I can become your friend if you need someone to talk to. Oh, Molly. Molly, what's your Instagram handle? Mollycroft underscore. <laughs> right. Well, if anyone, uh, if anyone needs to reach out or wants coaching um, uh, on and <laughs> off the field, Molly is your girl. Um, uh, yes, you're an absolute superstar. And Molly, I can only imagine how proud your mum and dad and sister are of you. Absolute oh, no. superstar. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on and sharing your journey. No, thank you for having me. Thank you. Our condolences go out to Molly and Toby's family. Toby, a very brave young man, sadly passed away. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen. Hello, thank you. Stephen, tell me a little bit about yourself and your sarcoma journey. Yeah, well, I'm a, uh, I'm a father of four, two boys, two girls, aged between 13 and 22 years of age. Uh, I... I was diagnosed with sarcoma just over three years ago now, and it came a uh, came as a as a shock, as a surprise. Um, I felt lucky in that with my diagnosis so far, it it did not involve me having to undergo chemotherapy or radiotherapy or any other of that modality. It, it ended up being just a major operation on me, and uh, had some some physical challenges and some mental challenges to overcome with that as well. Mm-hmm. So how did it how did it present itself? 
th- that's interesting. It's all that showed with me was a small bump, probably about the size of half a pea, that was just uh, underneath my kneecap, just on my shin bone. And on occasion, I had some discomfort while I was running. And it was there for a while. And I recall talking to a couple of masseurs, three different physios, a couple of chiropractors saying, oh, just in the middle of conversations, you know what this little bump might be? And all of them just shook their head. No, no idea. No, no one commented on it. Nothing at all. Was it painful? No, the little bump it wasn't. No, no. The, uh, the only discomfort I had was during a particular yoga position because I would I do yoga on a, on a daily basis. The little bump would be leaning on the, the floor and then there, there'll be some discomfort there. And I took it down to, uh, you know, I've been surfing a lot recently and I've had the board crack onto my legs a bit and I've got bruises everywhere and I've been doing a lot of digging and, you know, there's clumsiness, you know, hit the shovel on my leg or bang my leg into the chair. And I just saw it's just continual bruising on a particular spot. Um, but it didn't look like a bruise. It didn't feel like a bruise. It was just this little bump. Mm-hmm. So at what point you've, you know, you've, you've run it past masseuse, masseuses um, and chiropractors and physios. At what point did you go, oh, I'm going to check in with a doctor? Actually, actually, I didn't. It was, I was actually training for, uh, you may have heard of the event, Ninja Warrior. And I was oh, in the park. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I was in brilliant. the park. And, That's a whole episode and, that you and I could chat about offline. Great. <laughs> yeah. And um, I was in the park training for that and I accidentally dislocated my other kneecap. And I thought, oh, I've done it before. And I just click it back in and continue on. But this time it was a bit worse than usual. So I went and saw a physio. And so we we're actually working on my left kneecap. And I was just mentioning about the little bump on the right and the pain. And he said, oh, look, maybe I've got a, a meniscal tear or a cruciate ligament tear. And I was talking about an arthroscopy. And he's going, no, 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 we're beyond that. We can do non-invasive viewing and MRI. And so we decided, okay, I, I pushed for, so let's do an MRI. And he said, oh, there's a cost factor. I said, look, I don't care about the cost. I'm just tired of the discomfort. Let's just see what it is. And then me and him had a plan, a six-month plan of this MRI. It's either going to be a cruciate tear or a meniscal tear and six months where we wanted to be and what I could do with Ninja Warrior and you know, various other events that I was in. And that was the, the beginning of the journey. Wow. Um, um, from the MRI. I, interestingly, I still recall the dates of everything from my whole, from that date, which was, I think, May the 22nd with the appointment with the physio. May the 24th, I was at my doctor's getting a referral for an MRI. May the 27th, I was uh, getting my MRI in the afternoon. She says, knees are our speciality. You'll be in and out of here within 15 minutes. 45 minutes later, I finally leave. On the way home, she gives me a call and says, do you have any other scans or x-rays of your leg? I went, no, why is that? Oh, nothing. Tuesday morning, uh, I get a, I think which is uh, the end of May, the 30th of May could have been, I get a phone call from the doctor saying, or from the office saying, come and see the doctor Friday morning. He's got an appointment for you. And I thought, that's strange because the doctor told me last week, oh, don't bother coming back to see me. You and the physio have got this six-month plan all sorted out. You just work with him. Okay, go see the sock doctor on the, the Friday morning. He's shuffling papers everywhere on his desk. He's, the look on his face is one of bewilderment, of shock, because I've been with him for, for a number of years. And then after half an hour discussion with him, he's referred me off onto a specialist. The Monday, that was a Friday. Monday was a public holiday. Tuesday morning, I get a nine o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call from this specialist saying, oh, there's an appointment to book for you tomorrow, Wednesday afternoon. 
uh, you have to make it. I thought, okay. So I went and saw the specialist there on, on the Wednesday Arvo. I'm with him for about 20 minutes. Uh, then that was the Wednesday. That was um, oh, on the Thursday, I get a phone call from a, um, a uh, scanning place. Oh, we booked in a PET scan for you Friday. You need to be here tomorrow at 12.30. I went, okay. The specialist had booked in a bone biopsy for me that following Tuesday, which was the 13th of June. And yeah, everything was just progressing. That was the 30th of June. And then the 21st of June, I had another appointment with the operating doctor. And then the 29th of June, I was in for my operation. Wow. So, so quick. I mean, you know, you're a fit guy, you're training, you're surfing, you do yoga, um, you look after yourself, you go into Ninja Warrior world. It must have been such a shock to hear that this little thing on your knee that didn't really give you that much bother was was sarcoma. Yeah, it, it was a huge shock. It got me questioning everything that I'd done previously in my life. I thought, why am I doing yoga? Why did I end up being, for so many years, was I a vegetarian for so many years? Why did I end up being a vegan? Why did I do so much meditation? Why did I travel to India? Why did I try to live a healthy life, you know, eat good, eat what I would consider good foods, healthy foods, um, try to live a calm life when all of a sudden this happened to me. And then I was comparing myself to friends and colleagues, other people in the world. And I think, wow, you know, it's just, you completely trash your body with every chemical and drink possible. That's not good for it. And here you are still kicking along. And how did I have, there was like, why did this happen to me? You know, there was this, why did this happen to me? And yes, I had a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, a lot of questioning. Um, something that I will throw in the, the emotional part of me when that kicked in and that kicked in on June 13th, it was the morning of my biopsy. And I remember sitting next to my bed and sort of falling to the floor and then just, just bawling out in tears and crying. And all I could say to myself was everyone dies from this. Everyone dies from this. So many people die from this. Everyone dies from this. And my partner come in, she saw me and she, she came and um, consoled me. And, and after a while, after I sort of gotten over that part, then I was questioning myself going, why am I like this? No one ever sees me this emotional and I'd never feel this emotional either. And there was, I had all this confusion within me and, and, and then I sort of got to realize that, everything that I've looked up, been reading on this for the last couple of weeks, I still really didn't know what I was dealing with. I didn't understand what I was dealing with and there's only limited knowledge that I, that I knew. So then from then on, I applied what I knew in the business world in that, well, if I want to progress forward, I need to have a team. I need to have a team of people who are smarter than me and I need to be able to bounce ideas and question them. So then we can move forward with a, with a plan, with an idea of where I want to go, where I want to move forward with this. So how did you get your team together? Was that your MDT? Yeah, yes, yeah. Well, in in part, I felt the team was already there. Mm-hmm. Everything was already in place. When I saw the specialist for the first time on that Wednesday afternoon, he said, oh, we've already had an MDT, the multidisciplinary team, uh, review your case this morning. And I was said, wow, what's that? What's and he that? Said, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, well, what is that? I've never heard of this. And then he explained it to me. I thought, oh, wow. That's fascinating. It's they, they apparently already knew more about me than what I thought. They already knew about my background, my sportings. Obviously, word got around about me. 
uh, and they'd already had a chat. Mm -hmm. And so straight away from then on, I was told to go see an exercise physiologist because of the activities I was doing was not, could put me at a greater risk of fracture, um, which would then cause further complications if my bone had snapped. And I could see why they said that because of the size of the tumour was almost a, almost the size of a tennis ball within my shin bone wow. right at the very top. It took up the whole lot of the shin bone. And the, as far as what I could see through the the scans, I think it was the CT scans, yeah, my bone had become very thin because the tumour had pretty much was eating inside my bone. Mm-hmm. So from so from diagnosis, um, you know, you've got your team around you. How many operations have you had in the last three years, um, Stephen? It, yeah, it was just the one major operation. Yeah, it was just the one major operation. And it was pretty major, wasn't it? As we talked yes, yeah. earlier, sort of a leg off almost yes. and then back on. Yes, yeah, it was. And it's, it is interesting that because I physically, I've always liked to push myself. I, I found myself if I'm physically fit, then I'm also mentally fit. And so I, I, I pushed myself. And as my doctor's, my operating surgeon said to me, says, Stephen, I would like you just to slow down a little bit. You know, what we put in your leg should last you a good 20, 25 years. The way you're going, I don't want to see you in less than 10. <laughs> <laughs> so you could see so, what was ahead. <laughs> yeah, you could see. Yeah, he just knew. So, yes, I have adjusted what I do. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, just to to, to make sure that I have a, a longer lasting benefit out of this and that I don't have to go see him and get put under the knife again. He'll go, he said, I already put in some heavy duty stuff in there for you because I knew that you'd push it <laughs> and I didn't want things to wear away too quick. So I got the heavy duty, the yeah things and they went, okay. Thanks. <laughs> so, so with a leg, I can only imagine that you have done hours and hours and hours of physio. Is, is that still continuing now? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Still very much so. Mm-hmm. And I still, still looking to, to push it, still looking to, uh, have the, um, say the muscles, even the muscle definition in one leg to try and match the other leg. I can, I can just see that there's muscle wastage still in this leg. And so I'm continually moving, continually trying to increase its strength because I have found that the stronger my leg is, then the, the better I actually walk. Mm-hmm. And the better I walk, then I'm actually able to jog a little bit. But in terms of jogging, I can only jog on the really soft sand on the beach. I cannot jog on hard ground or even on, on grass. It's it's actually quite painful. How did you find telling your friends and family around, you know, about your diagnosis? Yeah, that, that, that was interesting because all I could say before I had the operation, I was actually coaching a soccer team and uh, – then I was, I told the parents, I said, Oh, yeah, I've got, uh, I've got this tumor in my leg. I've got to go in for an operation. And, uh, I explained to a couple of them, you know, what it was. And then obviously they must have been talking amongst themselves. And, uh, one of the interesting things was that I missed a week of one of the soccer games. I said, yeah, you know, someone else look after the team for that week. And then even though I was on crutches, I was back at training the, uh, a week later. <laughs> and these parents are looking at me going, what are you doing here? I thought we'd never see you again. You know, after hearing what you've got, we thought we'd never see you again. And I thought, oh, no, 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 it's fine. You know, I just, I just kept going through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the thing I do want to throw in is my daughter asking me, saying, oh, dad, does this mean you won't be able to run or, or kick a ball again? Mm-hmm. And I stopped and thought about it for a moment. I said, no, it's, we're still going to do everything that we did together before albeit I might just do a little bit slower and a little bit differently. So nothing's going to change. I'm just going to be a little bit slower, a little bit different. 
And so, yeah, I learned to kick more better with my opposite leg now Mm -hmm. and do a lot more with my opposite leg. Did you feel that you were given um, enough information when it came to rehab, nutrition, mental health along your journey? Uh, On the physical rehab, yeah, I got told to see an exercise physiologist, Mm -hmm. which is interesting because 20 years ago, I actually worked as an exercise physiologist as well. So part, part of my mind, one thing that I did know when I was working back in the day in that field was that those people that had uh, done the exercise before an operation, and I was mostly dealing with hip and knee replacement patients, those that had done an exercise, the exercise before and then immediately after their operation, they had the best, uh, the best standards of living, best quality of life, I, I should say. They really didn't struggle as much as someone who just went in for an operation now. They did nothing or went into an operation and then did exercise afterwards. So for me, it was good to see the exercise physiologist before the operation because I really had to change what I was doing uh, simply because of they were really worried about my leg basically breaking just through kicking a ball or through jumping off a two-meter wall or something which is probably not I would recommend most mid-40-year-old men do but um (laughs) (laughs) but I enjoyed it yes (laughs) um so yeah so it's yeah so the physical side of things yeah really good nutrition wise no it wasn't I looked at my own stuff Mm -hmm. but I already had what I felt and I still think is quite a quite a good diet uh, mentally wise, no, nothing was there and maybe nothing was offered to me or provided to me because of possibly how I presented because I prevented, presented with a very positive outlook and very, yeah, I'm going to push forward. I'm going to move forward with this and okay, I've got, if I don't know anything, then I'll just ask someone in the particular team and they'll give me a response and then I'll get, I'll take that and I'll see what I can do with that and then push forward with that. So I had still very uh, positive mindset with it, within all of this. Mm-hmm. A very um, uh, half glass full and also very proactive. I can, you know, d- tell from just our chat that you would have asked all the questions. Yes. Do you have a, a final message you'd like to sort of pass on to anyone who's been recently diagnosed that's listening to podcast? Yeah, look, it's, yeah, I, I do on this one. Um, I'm going to say, look, any diagnosis that you could receive that involves any sort of serious illness, just remember that it's not a death sentence. Believe in yourself. Believe that you can get through this. Even if, if you don't know what's happening, then build a team around you. Build a team of people who know more than you. Um, now, the team can also be made by you. I made my own team up in that. I didn't even think they knew they were in part, part of my team, but they were all communicating with each other with the, my doctor, my exercise physiologist, there's a nurse, there's a, the specialist, there are even the nurses in the hospital and the, the, the people in the hospital, the physio in the hospital. And so they're all part of my team. I believed in them. Um, I believed that they could help me focus and guide me to do the things that I needed to do to progress and to get me to the point where uh, I felt the progression it brought a smile to my face. And if I knew if it brought a smile to my face, then I knew that I was progressing a little bit further today than what I was yesterday. So there was just that believe in yourself, knowing that you can get through this. Brilliant. Now that's great advice. Thank you, Stephen. An absolute pleasure to uh, chat with you. Thank you for making time for us. Lovely. No, thanks for the opportunity, Kat. Happy to uh, to share and to, to help in any way that I can. Thank you. Thank you. Well, 
Well, welcome to the pod. Uh, Ashley, how are you? Good, how are you? Very well. No complaints. Nice and sunny today in New South Wales. Uh, so yes, it's a good day. Now, Ash, tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your sarcoma journey. Well, I'm 25 and I was diagnosed with rhabdomycosarcoma when I was two and had two years of treatment. I had surgery, radiotherapy and chemo. Mm-hmm. And so I've been in remission for 22 years now. Oh, that's wonderful I think to almost, hear. yeah. That's wonderful so to hear. So it's definitely good. <laughs> Uh, tell me, how how did uh, your parents come across your sarcoma when you were two? Um, so on my second birthday, I always loved having my neck rubbed mm-hmm. and my dad was rubbing my neck and felt a lump. And so immediately he'd been in ski patrol and so he'd had a lot to do with medical stuff and he knew that it wasn't right. And so went to a medical center the next day and they told me I had, from memory, mom and dad had told me measles mm-hmm. and they're like, you know, go away, it'll be fine, just, you know, do these certain things and mom and dad were just like, oh, I just don't know. And so they, they went to a back and forth a few times with different things and then dad was like, nah, that's it, and drove me to Sydney Children's at Ram- and week mm-hmm. and immediately by the time when dad initially had felt it it was the size of a pea by the time I went to Randwick which was maybe two weeks later it was the size of a golf ball gosh super and quick. I had yeah very quick and so once they realized what it was they operated um the next day and started treatment straight away so, Ash, you know, you were two when you were diagnosed and by the time treatment was finished, you were four. Um, so I can't imagine you remember too much about then. But has your treatment left any ongoing um, issues that you've had to deal with? Yes, yeah, so definitely. So when I was six years old, they um, realized that the um, radiotherapy had killed off my thyroid. So that was probably the first major thing that they started treating. So I was put on thyroxin. Um, And then from there, it was sort of constant little things. And so even now at 25, I still have things that continually happen. Probably some of the major ones is two years ago now, I woke up one morning and I sort of lost the use of my right arm and I thought in that moment that I must have a pinched nerve Mm -hmm. um, because my cancer was on my right side and they took out my sternomastoid. So I do have a lot of shoulder issues. So for me, you know, it just must be that I've got a pinched nerve or I pulled something and two days later I woke up unable to walk. Wow. And so from from that, I spent almost eight weeks in hospital doing rehab. I was in the rehab for five weeks, relearning how to walk, relearning all like my motor skills, how to text, how to type, basically like relearning everything. Wow, that's incredible. Um, And so that was all sort of through some of the chemotherapy you think that you'd had back in the day? 
Yeah, so they put it down to um, one of a couple of the chemo drugs that I was on uh, cause nerve damage. And so basically they're like what's happened is it's killed off the nerves, which they did know before, like through my hands and that, but they didn't realise how badly it was getting. And so basically it's killed off the nerves and they're like, the nerves now have like epilepsy, so they will trigger off and that will affect then my walking and motor skills and that. And there's not really obviously anything they can do for it. It will just randomly happen. Wow. So there's no medication for that. You just have to accept it when it happens. Yeah. So they've sort of tried a few um, medications, but another issue that I have is since my treatment was so young and I had so many medications from such a young age, my body now re- rejects all painkillers and a lot of medications. So anything they've tried, I'll have an allergic reaction to. So it's had a, it has had an ongoing effect, but you know, as I guess they, they're doing everything yeah. they can at age two, aren't they, to just keep you keep you going so I mean what 21 years on is exactly. pretty amazing exactly I always say that I'm so grateful and I definitely wouldn't change anything because I'm still here and mm-hmm. I feel like I'm definitely one of the lucky ones um Ash have you found that cancer and the cancer diagnosis and journey you've been on has that changed your life do you think definitely like I, I don't let it define my life but it's definitely changed it Mm-hmm. And so obviously, um, you know, friends that you probably went through junior school and high school with would have known your backstory. But when you when you change social groups or you start university, is it is it something that you explain in new social groups that has happened to you or is it something you're private about? Um, when I moved, when I was in just finished year 10, so I moved into year 11, I decided that it was something that I was going to keep to myself and not have, you know, it in a conversation when I met new people. Um, and then when I went to university or even through later high school, conversations would come up where either one of their friends or um, their parents had had cancer and it would come up in conversation then um, and then other people in my friends group would be like, oh, I had no idea that you had cancer. And so it's definitely something that I did keep mm-hmm. when I moved. And then now, as of about two years ago, I've been very open about it. I set up an Indian awareness of sarcoma and after effects of cancer. Mm-hmm. So now it's definitely more something that I talk about openly but even so, I don't think when I meet people, it's something that I really bring up unless it comes up in conversation. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to be defined by that. That's just a yeah. very small part of your story. But but I guess to, you know, leaving year 10, you're so young, aren't you? You kind of want to rewrite your story. Whereas as a, as a young woman now and, a, and a, you know, an adult at 25, it's different, isn't it? You can kind of, you can own and, and know that you might be able to help by sharing your story. Exactly. Like I feel like now I found it really interesting too as I got older. When you're younger, you don't really realize, but when people do 
ask, oh, well, what type of cancer did you have? And you explain it. And as soon as you say the word sarcoma, Mm -hmm. no one has any idea what that is and instantly says, oh, what's that? Is that like a leukemia or like a a brain tumor or like, you know, what what is it? Mm -hmm. And I realized that that was a big issue, that no one had any idea what sarcoma was. No, it's it's such a rare cancer, isn't it? And but you've been able to to sort of spread the message and share the word whenever you can, which I think is fantastic. Um, for those people who are listening who've recently been diagnosed, you know, is there any any advice or any thoughts that you'd like to pass on to them? Um, I always go by the quote, "I don't need easy, I need possible," and I think like that's such a good quote to live by because if you think like. It's always going to be possible and even times where you think that it's just getting like way too hard and way beyond you and you don't know how you're going to do it, you'll always be able to do it. That's great advice. That's great advice. Ash, thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you so much. And thank you for sharing a very a very different journey for the podcast. You know, you weren't, you don't even remember being diagnosed at two. I mean, gosh, that's uh, something that your parents have had to had to go through how how have they coped over the last you know 20 odd years yeah it's definitely been like hard because I just can't even imagine having like a two-year-old and having information like that Um, so it's definitely something that they're so supportive and always at every appointment and always doing everything they can to help me whether it's I've been you know, have sometimes a few weeks in hospital and they're just always there. So you can't, you can't beat your mum and dad, can you? No. <laughs> Not even at 25, Ash. No, <laughs> they're still exactly. The best. They're still the best. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Ashley, thank you again uh, for being open and for sharing. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sarcoma Awareness Month is a time when we acknowledge those who are currently undergoing treatment and their families, survivors, those yet to be diagnosed and the memories of those who walked this road, fought valiantly and tragically lost their lives to this cancer. Socket to Sarcoma and the Cooper Rice Braiding Foundation wish to recognise each of these brave individuals. Together with the remarkable not-for-profit organisations, dedicated to raising funding and awareness for sarcoma, including Rainbows for Kate, Kicking Goals for Zav, Hannah's Chance, Stony Steps Against Sarcoma, Joanna Sewell Research Grants, the GPA Andrew Assini Research Grants, and the Sarah Grace Foundation. With the generous help and support of the Australian community, Each have worked tirelessly to fund critical research and to further shine a light on sarcoma 